Hey guys, just a heads up that some of the content and language in this episode is for adult listeners only. Nona Jones went through traumatic events as a child that may be difficult to listen to. I'll give you another warning before we play that part of the story. I met with my boss at one o'clock that day and I gave my letter of resignation. And of course she was like, well, what are you gonna do next? And all I could say is, I'll tell you soon. That's all I could say. We finished talking around 1.40. I got in my car, was driving home. At 2.05, my cell phone rang and it was a 650 area code said San Francisco, California. So I just thought it was a telemarketer and I wasn't gonna answer it, but the spirit said, take that call. And so I answered the call. I said, hello. The woman says, hi, is this Nona Jones? I said, yeah. She said, I'm calling from Facebook. And I was like, Facebook doesn't call people. Who is this? <laughs> and uh, she proceeded to tell me about the role that I'm in now. From Lux Monday, you're listening to Faith Collides. It's a show about industry leaders and the stories behind how faith plays into life at work. I'm Grace Wong. And on the show, we have a very special guest, Nona Jones. Not Nora Jones, the singer, Nona Jones, who's been profiled in Essence Magazine as an under 40 woman to watch back in 2014. Nona Jones wears many hats. And the one she's probably best known for is that she's the head of faith-based partnerships at Facebook, the largest social media platform in the world. Facebook has 2.5 billion active users and over 50,000 employees. So what exactly does Nona do there? My team and I work with the largest houses of worship, denominations, associations, multi-faith around the world for the purpose of helping them reimagine what Facebook is capable of when it comes to connecting and serving their congregations, as well as helping people practice their faith on Facebook. Could you describe what that means and what that looks like? What I really try to get leaders to think about is if you think of your Facebook presence like a house, your page is just your front porch. So that's the place that's public. People, you know, driving and walking down the, the so-called street of Facebook can see your page. And if you use Facebook Live, that's like your front door. So you're opening your front door. People can interact with you. You can interact with them, but they're still on your front porch. So, you know, relationships don't typically get formed on the front porch. They get formed in the living room or in the kitchen inside of the house. And so you want to invite people inside of your house. And that's what Facebook groups do. Facebook groups are essentially like the living room or the kitchen. It's the area where conversation happens. So what we really try to do is we try to help these various ministries develop a community-based strategy, which is leveraging all the products and tools and services that Facebook offers in order to build and foster relationships between and among people. Nona got to spearhead this opportunity at Facebook without even applying for the job. And she gets to do it right in her hometown of Gainesville, Florida. But before we get into that story, you might be surprised to know that while Nona is now a community building, outspoken person of faith, she did not grow up in that environment at all. My mother and father had been married for um, 13 years before she got pregnant with me. And my mother actually didn't want to have children. Her father was a garbage collector. Her mother was a housemaid. And so they didn't have a lot of money. There was a lot of lack. She grew up in a home with, I think she had like 11 other brothers and sisters. And I think she decided at an early age 
that she didn't want to have children because children were costly and a burden. And so when she found out she was pregnant with me, she cried. She felt like I was going to end her life basically. And my father, on the other hand, was really excited because he had always wanted to be a a dad. But about halfway through her pregnancy, he started to have stomach pain and he went to the doctor to get a diagnosis. And he was diagnosed with terminal stomach cancer. He was given six months to live. He fought very hard against that. And he actually lived until two months shy of my second birthday. But it was shortly after the funeral that my mother ended up moving us to the other side of the country, basically just following after a guy she barely knew, but he promised that he would take care of her and take care of me. But that promise didn't come true. After moving from New Jersey to Florida, Nona's mom broke up with that guy and actually ended up in several different relationships. When Nona was five, her mom's boyfriend, Lee, moved into their house. Nona opens up about this in the audio version of her book, Success from the Inside Out. And just so you know, this is where she shares some graphic details about the trauma she went through at the hands of Lee. Lee didn't have a job, but he got a monthly disability check from the government for being born with cerebral palsy. She invited him to move in with us because she figured that instead of him paying rent for an apartment, he could contribute that money to her mortgage. But the amount of money he got every month was apparently less than she expected because they regularly argued about how little money he contributed to their living expenses. Their fighting became a constant backdrop to my daily existence, with her calling him names and him yelling back at her in frustration, threatening to leave. She would back down after he told her he was leaving, but her frustration with him continued to mount until it started boiling over at me. She would become so enraged with him that she would hit me for any minor infraction if I left a toy on the floor or didn't walk fast enough in a store or didn't make my bed. I never knew what would set her off, so I became extra careful at home in an effort to not make her angry. But it didn't work. My attempts at perfection never measured up. And the only thing I knew for sure was that when Lee pulled her anger trigger... I became the verbal, emotional, and physical target. One day, shortly after I started kindergarten, Lee cornered me in the family room while mom was out running errands. He started tickling me under my arms and along my sides, making me laugh uncontrollably. I laughed so hard that I ended up on the floor where he kept tickling me with one hand while using his other arm to hold me down. Once he had me pinned to the ground, his tickle started moving to my private parts. I told him to stop and wiggled my way out from under him. And once I got free, he said, you know I was just playing with you. We were just having fun. I didn't think it was fun. And that was just the start of the abuse that Nona was subjected to. Her book tells more of the story of what she went through, but also how she overcame it. Part of me died the night Lee stole my innocence. And to this day, the faint smell of beer on someone's breath often takes my mind back to that night. When he finished, he told me, you better never tell your mom or she'll get rid of you. She doesn't want you anyway. Lee didn't break only my body that night. He broke my spirit. Between the ages of about five and 11, 
I was subjected to physical, sexual, verbal abuse. And as a result of that, I would go to school and I would act out. And I got labeled as a problem child at a pretty early age. I was told that I had a learning disability and there were all these things that were just spoken over me, all these labels that were given to me. And I did not grow up in a Christian home. So I didn't know anything about, you know, God, Jesus, hope, being fearfully and wonderfully made. I didn't know any of that. And so I tried to take my life at the age of nine unsuccessfully. And I tried again at the age of 11. And I have a permanent scar on the inside of my left wrist that reminds me constantly how gracious God is. And it was shortly after my second attempt that a classmate in the sixth grade invited me to church. And that was my first experience going to church. And I felt wanted, I felt welcome for the first time in my life. Going to church, what were those words that spoke to your heart as a sixth grader? The very first sermon I ever heard the preacher said, God is a father to the fatherless. And my ears immediately perked up because, you know, there were so many nights that I would cry myself to sleep thinking if my father had lived, then what was happening to me would not have happened. And so when I heard that God is a father to the fatherless, I immediately wanted to know, well, what is God? Who Who is God? Because I always wanted my father. And I started to read the Bible for myself at a young age. And that's what kind of catalyzed my own personal faith journey. And I started to get involved with youth ministry. And you also at that time experienced a church community, I'm sure that you didn't have growing up. Yeah, because my mother moved us to the other side of the country. So my extended family was still in the other side of the country. I'm an only child. So it was just me and my mom and her boyfriend. And I think that created a, a toxic environment for me. So I didn't really have a community at home. And that's probably why I leaned in so much to the church community, because these people, they just loved and accepted me and they affirmed me and they made me feel welcome and wanted. Whereas on the other hand, I was routinely told at home that I wasn't wanted, that I was a mistake, that my mother wished I wasn't born. And having those things spoken over you by someone who is supposed to cherish and protect you, it really damages your identity and your understanding of your worth. And so despite all this trauma, like how did you approach school and education? You mentioned that they had labeled you as a problem child. Yeah, I mean... The interesting paradox of it is I was about seven when they said I had a learning disability and I think the second grade and no one ever asked why. Like that was the most interesting thing is no one ever said, why are you behaving this way? They just labeled me. But they did an intellectual development test and I tested gifted. So it, it wasn't that I was intellectually incapacitated. It was that there were other things happening in my life and I couldn't focus. After I came into a relationship with Jesus, I got plugged into the church and people were affirming me. I started to turn my behavior around in school. And as a matter of fact, in the middle of my sixth grade year, I was placed in all advanced classes. They've already spent half a year learning, but I got you know asked to get promoted. And so I did, and I worked really hard. Sixth grade was a time when your friend introduced you to church. It was also a time when you started to care about doing well in school. Did your mom tell you you should care? Did she care about your education? This is again, another paradox. So she cared as much as my grades made her look good. It wasn't like she was like super involved in my day to day, 
but she always wanted to know my, what my report card was. And if I made all A's, she would call and tell all her friends how I made all A's because that made her look like a really good parent. That was kind of the degree to which she was engaged in my life. But for the most part, I had to learn a lot on my own. You mentioned what your grandparents were doing. What was your mom doing for a living? And how did that impact your career? She was actually what was called a home health aide. So she would work with older patients and she would make sure that they were fed and make sure that they were bathed and taken care of. So she basically worked for herself for her entire life. Like I, I never knew her to be employed by anyone, which I think did shape the way that I approach business. I love the idea of being able to kind of create my own reality. And so I definitely got that from her. But my initial aspiration was to become a medical doctor. I wanted to cure cancer. I mean, that's what took my father's life. And so I was really interested in studying cancer and developing some treatments to cure it. I started off as a microbiology and cell science major. And I loved what I was doing because I love science and math. I still do to this day. But uh, during my second year, during the summer, I was doing a research program with the National Institutes of Health. The program sponsor was a physician who was an older guy. And I remember he asked me, he was like, you know, well, why, why do you want to become a doctor? What's motivating you? And I said to him, you know, I want to give my patients hope and I want to be a partner in their care. And he looked at me and he said, well, that's not what we do. He said, doctors are about the science. You know, we're not about all that lovey-dovey, cuddly stuff. And I was like, okay, this is not for me. And so that's what caused me to change my major. And it's amazing because you know, I was so crushed because my whole life I wanted to be a doctor. But at the same time, I realized I wouldn't be where I am today if I had gone down that path. It's funny when you reflect and you remember these moments in your life when someone said something and that changed like the trajectory. So when you got to college, how did you manage to pay or get through college? I ended up graduating high school near the top of my class. I actually I had a full academic scholarship to college. So I went to college for free. As a matter of fact, uh, at the end of every semester, after paying for you know tuition, room and board, I had like thousands of dollars just left over <laughs> to live off of. And, and I laugh about that now because I'm like, I wasted all that money. I could have invested, but I didn't know because I didn't grow up in an environment where we talked about money and investing and all of that. Do you remember some of the things you bought since you had like some extra money? Nothing but clothes none of which I have to this day. I bought clothes that are completely out of style. So yeah, it was an absolute waste of money. Now I'm like, listen, if you have money left over, you know, get a little OPS job so you can make a little money, but invest that money, you know, so you can maybe graduate and buy a house, you know, do something with your money. For many of us, college is a place where you experience some independence and figure out what you want to do for a career. When Nona went to college, two things happened that led her to some breakthroughs about dealing with her difficult past and figuring out the future. I was in college and my dorm mate, she was just being really depressed and discouraged and just really standoffish all of a sudden. Because before that, she was really like really bubbly in the life of the party. And I noticed that change in her. And so I just asked her because I saw her one day just crying. I was like, you know, what's going on? What's going on? And she revealed to me that uh, she had been raped. She was crushed. I mean, absolutely crushed. And in my attempt to, to try to extend compassion to her, I told her, I said, listen, I, I understand how you feel. I know it doesn't seem like it, but it will get better and you will get through this. And she was like, how can you possibly know how I feel? You don't know how I feel. 
And that's when I, I shared my story with her. After I shared my story, she looked at me and she hugged me and she said, thank you so much. I never would have guessed or known, she said, but your story gives me hope. And that's when I knew that there was power in transparency and just being honest about what I had experienced. And I think that's what motivated me to start telling my story more transparently. I know that you suffered sexual abuse from your mom's boyfriend. And what that does is it really impacts a woman's self-worth. How is that journey of even meeting your husband and like reaching that point of like trusting another man? I actually ended up meeting my husband my third year in college. It was absolutely a journey. I had to have a conversation with my husband just about the things that I had experienced and gone through because when you have trauma like that happen to you, people who you love and who love you can say and do things that trigger you and they have no idea. Nona married her husband, Tim, and they began their life together in Gainesville, Florida. Tim knew what his future held as he waited to take over his dad's church as a pastor one day. Nona began working in the broadcasting industry, but had no idea how much her career was going to be shaped by God's intervention. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll hear more about her faith-filled journey. Hey guys, it's me, Grace. I wanted to take this break to see if you'd like to buy me a coffee. It's been amazing working on this podcast from coffee shops, from my makeshift home studio, and with a team from all around the world. This passion project started two years ago when I felt it would be great to get some content out there that can get people of the Christian faith through storytelling to give us some career perspective and industry insight. I've learned a lot myself, and I hope you have too. If you have any feedback or ideas on how we could do things better, please feel free to reach out to us. And if you're in a position to treat someone, please check out how you can buy me a coffee to support Faith Collide's podcast. You can get the link from our show notes. Otherwise, we hope you can keep listening and be blessed. Welcome back. As Nona started working at a college, she spent a few years at a broadcasting company, a few years in the insurance industry, and then six years as a community and government relations director at a utility company. Nona gained valuable skills from all those jobs that she would later put into use at her current role. But she and her husband, Tim, had no idea that a job with Facebook was on the horizon. It's funny now that I think about it. I mean, neither of us ever thought that I would be doing what I'm doing. Like, neither of us thought that. I think when I married my husband, I really had no specific vision for the future. It was just, we're going to be married and that's going to be it. We're going to have some kids and that's going to be it. It's funny now to look back on that and realize we didn't have a master plan. The the only thing that we knew for sure is that we were going to live in Gainesville, Florida, because my husband's father, you know, he was pastoring a church and my husband was basically slated to um, be his successor. And so we knew that we weren't going to move. And that one thing in many ways felt like such a limiting agent on my uh, capacity to grow in my career because I was like, Gainesville, Florida is not like New York or Atlanta or LA. Like, it's not like there's many, many, many options. There's basically like one option for, you know, maybe each company and people, they don't just like leave and move around. They stay there till they retire. So it's funny though, because despite that, what seemed like a limiting factor, 
God literally created every job that I have had out of thin air. I mean, it's just brand new. And I think that's because he's really honored the decision to honor his father. That's been really, really great. And so my husband is my biggest supporter and affirmer. And so he, I mean, my goodness, I would not at all be able to do what I do without him. You said that God opened up every position in your life from broadcasting to insurance to the utility company. And then you worked for an organization called PACE that helps young girls stay on the right path in life. Can you tell me more about that job and also why you left? I was actually on the board of PACE for many years. I had found out about the organization. I loved the mission. I started out on the local board and I became president of that board. And then I somehow got nominated to the state board of trustees. And so I joined that board and I was on that board for a few years. And in that process, the CEO decided to create a new role that would be tasked with raising funds for the organization the organization's marketing and branding strategy, their legislative affairs work, as well as expanding the program to other states. When that role was created, I was already starting to feel like, oh, I think I want to maybe transition out of the role that I was in at the time. And so when the CEO found out, she kind of came to me and was like, would you be willing to consider this role? And so that's how it came about. And uh, I absolutely just loved it because the mission of the organization so deeply aligned with my experience. And then what kind of made you want to leave to get to the next opportunity? I've been really just spirit led in my career. Now, in the case of Pace, because Pace, of course, was right before Facebook I was in a situation that I had never been in because I loved what I was doing, thought I would do it quite literally for the rest of my life. But I was in prayer one morning about that organization and what God wanted me to do next. And the spirit said, this assignment is over. And that had never happened to me before, ever. And I heard it, but I was like, that isn't right because that's not what I want. (laughs) So I prayed again a couple of days later and I, I heard the same thing, this assignment is over. And so when I prayed and asked God what to do next, I was told to resign at the end of the fiscal year, which would have been June 30th, 2017. And I met with my boss at one o'clock that day and I gave my letter of resignation. And of course she was like, well, what are you gonna do next? Like, I, I can't tell the board that you're leaving without like where you're going. And all I could say is, I'll tell you soon. That's all I could say. You know, we finished talking around 1.40. I got in my car, I was driving home. At 2.05, my cell phone rang and it was a 650 area code said San Francisco, California. So I just thought it was a telemarketer and I wasn't going to answer it, but the spirit said, take that call. And so I answered the call. I said, hello. The woman says, hi, is this Nona Jones? I said, yeah. She said, I'm calling from Facebook. And I was like, Facebook doesn't call people. Who is this? <laughs> and uh, she, she proceeded to tell me about the role that I'm in now. My name had been given to them as somebody to talk to about it. This really doesn't happen to people, but did you have a friend that you knew at Facebook? So I did, but he never told me that he had recommended me for anything. So this all just kind of came out of the blue. I didn't know until after I was hired. And he said purposely he didn't say anything because he was like, just in case it didn't work out, I didn't want you to not like me. So how did you know him? And then did you influence him in a way that made him feel like you could be the next partnerships person at Facebook? Because a lot of times we don't realize that, hey, it's a friend that can get you recommended to like the next big gig. 
Which is pretty amazing. Yeah. So I knew him because we did a leadership program together. And during the program, we became really close and just had a really good time. I guess when the position was being discussed, he said that I was somebody they should consider for two reasons. One, he knew that I was in ministry, that my husband and I pastored a local church. But two, I had joked with him several times. I was like, Facebook needs to create a foundation. I want to be the president of that foundation, but it has to be based in Gainesville, Florida, because I cannot move. And so he was just like, yeah, it's never going to happen. So I think when this became available, he was like, all right, let's figure out how to do it. (laughs) So that's really neat that you actually had this ambition to like, hey, I know what Facebook is. It's pretty cool, but it could do better. Why did you say that you saw a gap in what Facebook was offering? I saw not so much a gap in what Facebook was offering, but I saw a gap in how ministries were using Facebook because most ministries were using Facebook for marketing, you know, just to tell people about their events and try to get people to go to their building. And I recognized early on, I was like, you know, statistically, church attendance is declining or plateauing in the vast majority of churches. And yet we see Facebook usership increasing, you know, month over month, year over year. And so my thought was, it would be amazing if instead of using Facebook for just marketing, if ministry started to actually use it to do ministry. And so I decided early on to really become an ambassador for leveraging social technology to disciple people. What was your first interview with them? Did you fly over to Silicon Valley or did they do a conference call? My first time uh, at Facebook was the day I started. I never applied for my job. I like talked to like a couple of people and that was it. I had my offer letter in like two weeks and normally it takes six months. So it was nothing but God, quite literally. Because they presented you an offer. So like, were you ready to take that on? I would have never even imagined I would do this because I wouldn't have thought it was possible. So it's hard for me to say, was it what I wanted to do? Because I never would have imagined it, but I love what I get to do every day. It's truly a blessing and I wake up energized every morning. My team and I work with the largest houses of worship, denominations, associations, multi-faith around the world for the purpose of helping them reimagine what Facebook is capable of when it comes to connecting and serving their congregations, as well as helping people practice their faith on Facebook. And internally, what we try to do is we try to bring all of the insights and concerns and questions that our stakeholders have to the product team and to the policy team to make sure that we are a voice for faith at Facebook. So what we really try to do is we try to help these various ministries develop a community-based strategy, which is leveraging all the products and tools and services that Facebook offers in order to build and foster relationships between and among people. And that's so important right now with COVID because churches are not meeting in person anymore, or many of them are not. Can you tell us how you feel like COVID has impacted what you do? Well, I think it has created a level of awareness that may not have been present before where you have pastors who previously were like, oh, you know, we meet in the building, we're focused on the building. It's made them aware that it's not an option, whereas building attendance is declining. Social media is the space that's growing. People are there. So I've seen that shift. I'm just hopeful that it will continue uh, going forward. 
Nona Jones began working with churches to help them use Facebook for ministry long before COVID-19. So in some ways, her job is even more important today than it's ever been. And yes, the pandemic hasn't made things easy. After a year of staying at home and social distancing, it almost seems impossible to be in community with others. But instead of binge watching another show on Netflix, why not hop on a Zoom call with someone you trust and really share what you're struggling with? Nona says it's important to do whatever you can to remind yourself that you're not alone and to use the internet, social media, and technology to reach out and let people know how you're feeling. We have to understand that because this was unforeseen, it's going to require us and it is requiring us to exercise mental and emotional muscles that we may not have ever had to exercise before. Some of us are having to deal with depression and frustration and others of us because of the isolation and maybe we're extroverted, we're just feeling particularly down. So I would encourage you just to try to find ways to connect with others, find ways to create a a supportive community, whether it's among your coworkers or your friends, your family, just to keep your spirits uplifted. That's so important because what happens oftentimes is we get so bogged down in the work, so heads down in the work that we end up depleted and empty at the end of every day and at the end of every week. So I would encourage you to try to find a community of people that you can connect with in order to just stay mentally and emotionally um, healthy. Being mentally and emotionally healthy is something that Nona is really passionate about because of all she's been through in her past. If you've been through the same type of trauma, Nona believes there's hope for you. We have to remember that there is hope because there is nothing that is contained in our past that invalidates our future. And sometimes we absorb trauma and we consider it to be an indictment on our work. We think that the bad things that happened to us are because we somehow deserved it or we did something to warrant it. I would just want you to know that you did nothing, but at the same time, God can use everything. You know, the way that I got free from the pain of my past is when I allowed my past pain to become a ministry for healing others. That's why I wrote the book, Success From The Inside Out. That's why I tell my story constantly, because every single time I share my story, I always have somebody come up to me and say, that happened to me too, and I've never told anyone. And so I would just encourage you to know that your brokenness is not your burden. Your brokenness is your ministry, and God can use everything for His glory. Nona was left isolated and alone as a child as she went through years of abuse. Yet when she experienced a safe and loving community, she started to flourish in school, share her story, and begin a journey that led to her career today. Besides being the head of faith-based partnerships at Facebook, Nona is also the founder of Faith and Prejudice, an organization that provides Christian education on social and racial justice. She's also a celebrated author of a couple books, Success from the Inside Out, and from social media to social ministry. You can find the link to them in our show notes. I'm Grace Huang, bringing you stories that can revive your work week. Hope you have a blessed day. Faith Collides is hosted and produced by me. This episode is edited by Josh Batson, audio mixing by Josh Batson and Joshua Huang.